Welcome to the Harmful Habits Podcast. What episode are we on? Number six, Five? I think. Five, six? Six, I think. I think six. Do we need to stop the podcast and <laughs> go look it up? <laughs> All right, welcome to episode five or six. <laughs> We're leaning towards six. And today's topic... We didn't really give this one... We have not. ...a title. Maybe we can call it uh, Harmful Habits of challenging ridiculous behavior or WTF (laughs) that might be the most appropriate one harmful habits of WTF and before we get into today's topic why don't we check in with everybody and see who needs a means help or see if a mean needs some help Um, I mean do you need help I don't think so maybe how's Algeria doing how's the soccer team they didn't make the decision yesterday. They postponed the decision. So, kind of optimistic. I don't know. If they postpone it to December, be a bit suspicious. Yeah, especially if the World Cup starts <laughs> yeah, in November. November. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to make this decision in January. Maybe. Uh, maybe. So, I mean, you're doing well. You're not in need of any help, Jimmy. So, how about you? Yeah, Are you doing well? You're in need week. of any help? No, no help needed. All right. No one's going to check ben, on me. Ben, how are you this week? I'm not well. Would you like to share? Oh. Would anyone even listen if I did? We mm, can pretend. Questionable. So it's been kind of a crazy week, right? Yes, it has been. So maybe we just go straight into the topic. And I think we should start this stating that we don't have a clue what we should do. And so we kind of wanted to have an open discussion about it to really get some perspective from each other, but also just for people who are listening to walk themselves through what they might do. Jimmy, so you want to explain? No, I'll let you do it. Hmm. I was kind of hoping you might. Well, you, you got the message, so I didn't get the initial message about this. So I I feel like we're creating a sense of intrigue. Wait, so you were told about it before you saw it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I received a text message that someone in our community was flying what is typically called a Black Sun Nazi flag. Now, when you guys heard about that, did either of you know what that looks like? No. I saw it recently in the news. Uh, that's the only reason I could recognize it when you sent the actual picture. But at first, you just said Nazi flag, and I was picturing like a giant swastika or right. something. Right. Well, when you sent the message to me, that's what I thought. So at first, um, like Jamisa, I wasn't quite sure what it was. I had to look it up. and Because um, I was kind of expecting the same thing, right? Like I was expecting yeah. a swastika like you talked about too, I mean. And I actually just walked over to the house and um, observed it. And I think if I didn't know what it was, I would have been like, oh, look at the ornamental flag (laughs) flying in the wind. (laughs) What a pretty flag. (laughs) Um, Until I learned really a bit more about it, that it was a flag used as an alternative to the swastika uh, during World War II, that a lot of the um, upper people in the Nazi regime would use it in decoration in their homes and in their yards and things like that. And that more recently, it's been used by neo-Nazis in America. So the question becomes... I think it also was um, flown in the Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. um, Charlottesville riots and things like that. So the question becomes, 
what do you then do when this happens in your neighborhood? Three Trees is all about nonviolence, uh, meaningful change. And I, I should probably give a bit more context. So later on that evening, um, due to some door-to-door salespeople that weren't apparently following some laws or something. We and had... mind you, this is like 9 o'clock at night. This <laughs> <laughs> is 9 p.m. People are like knocking on our door. And so we had the police come and ask us questions about had we had any experience with these door-to-door salesmen. So while the police, while the police were there, I then asked them about this flag, and they informed us, you know, there's nothing you can really do. Um, if people want to hang a Nazi flag in their home or outside their home, sorry, in public display, there's not much you can really do um, unless the HOA forbids it. And so that's a, that's a whole nother kind of topic about about the HOA and contacting them. So I want to stay away from that option today because I really do want people to be challenged on when you see something um, that's very painful for your family that another family's engaging in, when you see something that is completely offensive to you, how do you then move forward? And I think, and I want to add on to that, but that also invokes fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we talked about, you know, when it's, um, I usually walk our dog at night um, and just not even going on that, in that area, on that street. You just don't know what could potentially happen. And it's also an area near where our kids play. Um. And so just this concern develops. So, Jamisa, you brought up this idea of the amount of fear that you felt that I felt um, when we saw this. And maybe that's the best place to begin, even before we proceed any further, is to start with those emotions. And perhaps you can verbalize and perhaps Amin can verbalize what he might feel if this were in his neighborhood. And we just kind of start from there. Yeah. So go ahead. what were the feelings for you? And I think even though it happened three days ago, some of those feelings are still unraveling for you. Absolutely. Um, I would, I think just fear of like the kids being out, like our, we allow our kids in our community, um, at least like, you know, the street that we live on, a street over to kind of just roam freely because um, there are a lot of kids in our neighborhood. Um, and now I'm cautious about that. Or even, you know, possibly on a walk, um, coming across that person and having to have, you know, every, most people are, are friendly and will chat and having to potentially have a conversation or, you know, have an encounter with that person um, and what that may mean. And, and I think to be so bold as to fly, to put that flag on your house, like what, like where, what is his affiliations? And so I almost want to know what those things are so that I can, um, and I know I'll never know, um, so that I can respond, um, react with my children accordingly. I think, too, there's this sense of, like, if this dude willing to fly a flag, like, what else is he willing to do? Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a bold statement. And so my first emotion was anger, just using that toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. of going straight to anger. Um, And I really had to kind of sit with that first. and. We often teach at Three Trees, right, that anger is a combination of hurt and fear. And I had to look at that. And I think the part of me that was really hurt was the sense of, I really enjoy living here. I really enjoy this neighborhood. And something got taken away from it. Yep. 
there was this feeling it's of... tainted a bit. Mm-hmm, like there's a loss there. And so that to me was the hurt. And then the fear was definitely this sense of what does this mean for the future? What does this mean about my children's safety? What does this mean about my wife's safety? What does this mean about my safety? Um, I'm fairly reactive. And so I just walked over there when I heard about this and I just decided, hey, let me go have a conversation with this fella um, or whoever lives there. Um, and when I did go over there, um, either they went home or they chose not to answer the door. And once again, we'll get into like what are the possible solutions a bit later on. But as you hear this, I mean, um, you've had some experience with discrimination and with uh, people being hateful towards you. Uh, based on nationality or race what are the feelings you would experience i mean even just yesterday when you told me about it versus when you sent me the picture uh, i think you noticed we were on the phone together and i was at a loss of words even now because you guys are kind of extended family now you know like we've gotten to know each other quite well over the last year and it's like I don't know how to even really verbalize how I feel. Is it fear? Is it a feeling of loss in the community? Is it lack of safety? Is it unpredictability? All these things, like, I think we often start thinking, what else does this guy think, you know? Mm -hmm. Why is he flying this flag? Why is he doing it? Why is, is this a statement he's making? Is he just ignorant, doesn't know? It, you know, all these different questions, and it's tough. And, and you know. Uh, being a minority in America, a lot of the times, you know, we witness these things and it's like, there's, there's like a difference, I think, between, and I don't want to say harmless racism versus harmful racism, but I feel like violent, nonviolent, I don't know. And, and this guy flying a flag, you don't know what type of person he is. Is this a violent person? Is this a nonviolent person? Is it a passing comment? Is it something mm -hmm. he thinks about every single day? And even as you say that, I was thinking, like, is he just ignorant to, like, the meaning of the flag? Mm -hmm. And saw it and was like, oh. And that's kind of why I went over there initially was like, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm not sure if you know the other meanings of this flag. Mm -hmm. I was just in utter disbelief. And I just yeah. wanted to have that conversation. Like, what does it mean to you? Tell me more about yeah. that. And what, what I find really interesting about it is that even that, that row of houses like, there are minorities on that road. There are, you know, several people on our street that are minorities. And it's like, you know, like, when you when you do something like that, like, do you not acknowledge that there are other people in this community that are not, that are of a different nationality or a different race? And does that even matter? Or is it the point? Yeah. 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 And so these feelings that we had initially, how did yours change um, over the last few days? When, when it was first brought to my attention by you and um, I, I am one, I think emotionally to have a delayed response to strong emotions. And so I think I was just in the kind of just in disbelief, similar to what you said. I mean, um, I would say Ben and probably a few other people, um, that lived near us was an outrage. Um, and so I think I just kind of just watched their reactions to it. Um, and then since then, like I said, it's just been a really strong sense of just fear. Um, I thought about today as I was leaving the house um, and I rode past that house um, and just still just in disbelief. 
because again, I'm with you. Like it's just like it's a neighborhood tainted. Like something was taken away um, from it. You know, because we kind of just roam freely and just not think about like where we're going or what street we're on, um, or even the people we interact with in the neighborhood. What was the response of different people that you told, and how did that shape how you feel and think? Because I had a lot of responses to that. Um, just the different people I talked to were just some were just like, oh yeah, that's terrible. Hate that's happening to you, um, and other people were just appalled. Um, there were a lot of people that were just like, yeah, that that wasn't true. Like, let me see this flag. I can't believe this is happening. Um, and so yeah, it's just I think it was just varying degrees of of emotions from different people. The reactions. But it's interesting, right? Like, the people who seem disconnected a little bit almost acted as though it was happening to us versus happening to all of us. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't seem to have any connection right. to the experience. And I wonder how much of that is. Um, obviously, I'm not a minority, but I have family members who are. Um, both of you are. And so I wonder how much of it is just that directness to the history of that and having yeah. those experiences yeah. and seeing what people flying a flag can lead to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, a part of us, or let me just speak for myself, a part of me always likes to almost forget that that's a part of our society, right? Like, I don't want to think, right. oh, there's racist people out there every day and always worry about it. It's like, but but this is a reminder mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that mentality exists, that there are people that, fly these very strong symbols, regardless of if they know what it means or not, these symbols are now, you know, somewhere in our society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying. And it reminds you of all the previous pain and hurt and, you know, articles we've read before and experiences us or our family has had before. Uh, and I think that brings out a lot of hurt in me when I hear something like that. And the timing was so bizarre, right, Jamisa? Because just last week we took the kids to Washington and um, so we went to the African-American Museum of History and Culture, and I went to the Holocaust Museum. Um, and both museums did this great job of showing um, how these things happen mm-hmm. in stages. And especially the Holocaust Museum, when it talks about um, how Hitler took over in 1932 or 1933, how he slowly kind of, implemented these symbols and then these laws and then as these things kind of picked up the pace um destabilized the media and prevented people from trusting the media and so that he gained full control um and was able to to commit the holocaust and so i think having just seen that and then coming back and seeing a symbol from those times was just kind of I'm trying not to cuss here at the same time. Which is mind-blowing. Yeah. And, I mean, you both know me fairly well. Like, my mind goes straight to how do we understand this person better mm-hmm. to help them make changes. Because I straight away, I kind of go into this mindset of, like, I wonder what his cryogenic needs are. I wonder what the pain is he's experiencing that he's chosen to express it in this way. And I think at times that probably annoys the hell out of you, Jimmy. Yes, because we had that conversation yesterday. <laughs> um, and it probably doesn't make you feel very supported. Um, but maybe tell me a bit about that, too. So you brought that up, like, you know, this person needs to change. And, I, I, you know, my response to that yesterday was like, 
Well, I can't say it on <laughs> on the podcast about <laughs> what I response was. Yes, it was that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, forget that. Like, I don't like forget this person, this dude that mm-hmm. you know is so bold to put that on on your on your house. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about what his ideas are. Um, I I don't know what to do with that outrage. I don't know what to do with that fear and that anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to go in and like needing to um, like psychologically like do this um this breakdown about like what his thought process is like I'm not putting that type of energy I don't want to put that kind of energy to him or even trying to figure out what his thought process is um because you know I I said initially uh, earlier that you know maybe he didn't know but I think I think he does know I think there are enough other flags supporting other causes in our neighborhood for him to kind of to say okay I make I am going to make a, I'm going to make a statement as well so I'm really interested too in like how we each respond to this and how that's influenced by gender and culture and things like that. Um, and so my response is always like, Oh, we need to have a conversation with this person and see what we can fix and understand. Your response is like, screw that. Um, we need to just make sure we're safe and that needs to be our only concern right now. And I think there's so many gender and cultural influences in both of those responses. What's the healthy way, do the two of you think, to respond to this kind of craziness when it happens in our communities? I mean, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, and I think long term, the best thing to do from an outside perspective would just be to find all the... But it's not really an outside perspective for you because these yeah. are things you've experienced and these are things you've been through. Yeah, uh, I I guess, though, just aligning with everyone in the community who's against such a thing and working together to figure out how to deal with this situation Mm -hmm. with a unified front rather than, you know, uh, just standing alone and being like, this is insane, and then having no one with you, near you, to support that claim. But I I do kind of want to flash back to the previous thing we were just talking about and just to, like, talk about the incredible amount of privilege this person has where we're even doubting what his intentions might be. You know, like, mm-hmm. us as minorities, yeah. typically, our intentions are, you know, a, well, they portray it as a given, right? Mm-hmm. If right. they're doing this, they're definitely yep. like this. They're definitely mm-hmm. like this, and we're going to act accordingly. And I don't think you would receive that response from whoever you talk to where they're like, well, nothing we can do about it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would be like, oh, this needs to be removed immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just imagine, you know, any type of minority group supported any type of radical cause in their neighborhood so blatantly you know mm-hmm. so blatantly and boldly what the reaction would be and then this person it's like well we don't know if he even knows what that means mm-hmm. exactly. which is incredible amount of privilege and i think people don't see that side of uh uh what privilege means uh in our society i think they mean oh or i think they think it means oh life is so easy i get money for no reason mm-hmm. or for being mm-hmm. me and they at- attach this financial thing when in reality it's just Oh well, your intentions are never really already handed to you. Mm-hmm. Or You're giving a lot more grace yeah. than mm-hmm. other people are given, and it's interesting too because right, even one of the people you spoke to, Jamisa, was like, "Maybe it's a practical joke." Yeah, yeah. And Jamisa's like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and so I think both of you are just have had these experiences your whole life that have shaped your response to this in a way that would be difficult for people like me to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it is interesting to walk through these experiences with both of you and to get that feedback from both of you and start to recognize these layers of privilege that I have mm-hmm. and um, that when these things happen, other people have. Because you, we talked about this yesterday and Ben was like, you know, we need to do something and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, like my initial response is safety. I mm-hmm. feel as fear. And it is, and it, you're right, it's from all these years of just, you know, at times being, um, being a witness to discrimination, um, being a victim of these things, and then to have it happen so close to you. And it's like, no, my, it, mine isn't to rally and, you know, and to go and knock on this person's door, but to find safety. And so that's a great topic when people are experiencing discrimination, when people are experiencing this type of abuse, what should we offer them? Or another way of asking that is, what do the two of you need when you experience these episodes of discrimination that have been fairly frequent in both of your lives? Um, I think just space and time to process, to talk about it, um, to go through um, the varying ranges of of emotions, um, just even kind of just say it out loud without anyone needing to fix it. Or, you know, just being, just to have someone to listen. Yeah, listen without challenging your pain, too. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times people will listen and then they'll be like, ah, you're overreacting. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean as much as you think it means. It's like there's real pain over here, you know. Mm -hmm. When we see those symbols, we don't see, oh, they're just a bad person. We see, oh, my God, my safety might be in question. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this person might do something to me or my family or my friends one day. Uh, he might be a malignant presence in my neighborhood, you know, just all these thoughts. And there has to be that recognition, right, that because of our experiences or because of different types of um, prejudice we've experienced that we're going to have very different threat level about similar behavior. And that's one of the things I noticed from certain people is they kind of like saw it as humorous almost. Not humorous in like, oh, that's a funny joke, but humorous in like, well, you know how people are. Yeah versus they didn't seem to pick up on the threat that we felt for our kids. They, um, it was almost like unintentionally minimizing it. Right. Is yeah. that something you've experienced to me? Yeah. Uh, when, when I was in college, uh, one year, uh, I, and I don't know what group did it, but uh, they, they started putting these rice bags in front of where all the brown people were living. And they, they said uh, they had notes attached that said, go back to your own country. And then so, you know, we were all terrified. But some of the friends that we talked to that weren't uh, from that community were like, "Ah, that's hilarious. They put rice in front of your doors. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think they used the stereotype to engage in whatever message they were trying to make. They were like, here's the stereotype about you. We know who you are. Mm -hmm. Go back to your country. Not like, ha ha, you guys eat rice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was terrifying. And, And I noticed not everyone took it as seriously or as terrifying as we thought it was. We were like, mm-hmm. oh, they know where we live, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then if the authorities or the people who can do something about it also minimize the threat level, mm-hmm. then it makes you feel very impotent, right? So if you complain to the college authorities and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know how kids are these days, then it just increases that threat level so high. Honestly, though, I, I will say the campus uh, authority was very helpful. They put up security guards, uh, and I think it's campus police, uh, not the regular police, but they were out every night in that area for the next year to make sure nothing happened. So they were very receptive and took it seriously. It was more so 
So uh, they get they engaged in a lot of healthy habits that mm-hmm. really made you feel supported. Exactly. So just taking it seriously, seeing it the mm-hmm. way that you saw it, it sounds like. Yeah. And seeing the immediate impact, like that next night, there was campus police everywhere just posted mm-hmm. up. They were saying hi to us to let us know that, you know, we see them. They were like, we're just going to be here and make sure everything is going smoothly. And it helped everyone go to sleep that night, you know. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you too, Jamison, as I look back at the experience through my eyes, perhaps what I was looking for from friends is that sense of like, what does this feel like for you? Mm-hmm. And for me to be like, I'm effing, can we say effing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, I'm outraged, I want to go break things. And to have people be like, wow, this is a really, yeah, this is a really big deal. Versus the, well, you do live in the South. Mm-hmm. And so that connection, as we've mm-hmm. talked about in other episodes with other things, perhaps just that ability to listen and to empathize and to connect with what someone's going through. I love that story you tell about what the campus police did for y'all mm-hmm. and how much that helped. Because I think there's a, there's some great lessons in there for like how we can care for friends, how we can care for other family members. And Jamisa, you talk about like that need for safety immediately. Yeah. And I think to have, like you said, the reactions, the varying reactions that we got from people. And for those that was like, you know, I'm outraged with you and, um, you know, uh, coming over to the house and be like, you know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, that is such a sense, as you talked about this with the campus police, like for me, that's a sense of security as mm-hmm. well. Uh, to know that I can go back to those people and be like, hey, this is what's happening. You know, and I know that people will, will hear me mm-hmm. um, and, and try to help as much as they can. And those friends who are like, what do you need right now? I'm, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even though it may, you know, even though whatever your response is, your feelings may not be um, reflective of the level of danger in the moment. And you may feel differently the next day or in a week's time at the moment. That's exactly what I needed. Yeah. I, I think, too, I look back at yesterday and our discussions, Jamisa, and how you were communicating this need for safety. And I was kind of talking about the need for change and how that must have increased your level of threat yeah rather than helped and it took me a day to realize (laughs) (laughs) but walk me through that a little bit like what it's like for you to feel in danger for me to talk about how we're going to help change the other person and how that increases the fear for you i think because it goes back to this and i I may have mentioned this um yesterday about like there is an unknown about this person right and so, and I'm sure back during, you know, civil rights era with Dr. King, similar in that way, when they have made, you know, these bold um, moves to like, you know, the sitting at a lunch counter or, you know, the, the you know, making decisions about not being, getting on a bus. Or crossing bridges. Crossing bridges. And, you know, they went into this not knowing. And I think for me, it was like, you know, when Ben was talking about, you know, we got to make these changes. I'm like, no, I don't I don't want to do that. I just need to be safe right now because, you know, I had mentioned, like, I don't know what this who this person is affiliated with. If there is an affiliation, what are the rankings with this affiliation? How not even if they don't do anything directly to me, like how could someone else come and do something to my mm-hmm. family? And so it's about like, how do I protect our kids? How do I protect our you know, just the both of us. So it's, it's just, you know, only thing I can think about is safety. The other thing it did for me, because this was a very indirect kind of threat, right, mm-hmm. is these amazing individuals who stood up to violence and managed their fear 
and managed the fear that they had for their families and proceeded anyway, it just brought like a whole new level of connection to that and a sense of like, how did they do this? Mm-hmm. Knowing the threat that, that they were experiencing, knowing the threat that it placed their families under, how did they walk forward for the sake of everyone else anyway? Yeah. And I was just thinking back to, like you mentioned the MLK, but I was also thinking back to like Thich Nhat Hanh during the Vietnam War um, and the ability of those monks to sit there in the middle uh, of the warring parties knowing they may get shot mm-hmm. and sit with their fear um, for the sake of peace. So pulling back a little bit, it seems like we started the conversation off today like, what do we do with this? And it sounds like the first answer is we we should take care of each other. We should connect. We should listen. Um, And people who didn't feel impacted by it or people who even listen to this don't feel impacted by it but care about us as people um, can really attempt to connect with us and hear what the experience is. And so we're using this incident within our community to kind of create a sense of when this stuff happens in the country as it's going to continue to happen what you can do if it's, if it's you experiencing it or if it's people you care about and you really want to support them well, what are some of the basic steps? What else did you need? And this is to both of you. When you go through these things, once your need for safety feels a bit more grounded. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um... Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Do you have anything in me? Not necessarily. I I think the worst thing that can happen after something like this is not seeing continued improvement. So like, uh, and and I'm not wishing this upon you guys, but you know, in like two years, if somebody puts up an even crazier flag in in the name, let's make a mental note that Amin <laughs> Amin might be the first person we should talk to if that happens. But imagine imagine your reaction when it happens again and again. There's a lack of response. Mm-hmm. And again, the police is like, well, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And again, those, those same people are like, well, it's the South. What did you expect? Mm-hmm. And then now you're like, so it's the South, so I should always feel unsafe. I work here. My livelihood is here. My kids go to school here. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. It's the South. This is, you know, get used to it, buddy. Mm-hmm. No. And, and so it, I guess uh, planning for future events uh, helps me at least quell that that anger and hurt and fear. and all those negative emotions that pop up. Are you saying that engaging in the change process is one of the ways that you manage the trauma from these experiences? I guess that's a fancy way to say it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe even, like, um, it was just as you were talking to me, I was thinking, like, you know, if we had to pass by that house with our kids, they're always talking about flags, Mm -hmm. and, like, people find things, like, even educating them, like, hey, this is what this is, this is what this means. Um, this is may not necessarily, this is not what we stand for. Um, and maybe just even starting that process of just having conversations, mm-hmm. um, maybe even conversations within the community, like, Hey, you know, there's this flag, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts about it? And I, I think I always jump the gun here. I want to go straight to the change process, but maybe even educating people who are kind of on the sidelines a little bit. Yeah. And Why this is harmful. Why so- is this offensive? When we feel safe or, you know, if I feel safe, then taking the added responsibility to be like, let me go back and talk to some of the people 
who seemed fairly neutral on the topic and let me explain why this was difficult for me and why I feel change is really important. Um, but I think I go to that too quickly and we always need to start with um, coming back to just sitting. I remember I was talking to that nun the other day and um, she's a nun, she, she's a black female and she chose to go uh, meditate under the statue of Robert E. Lee. And I was asking her about that experience and she says, you have to get in touch with the whole experience. All of the pain, all of the anger, all of the hurt, all of the violence, all of the trauma. And I think she's in a whole different world than I am in terms of ability to do that. But I did have a lot of respect for her willingness to step into all of these emotions. I think in an effort to sit with them and almost find a way forward. Because I think for myself, I can be very reactive and I can feel like, this is a problem. We should fix it. It's that very kind of male mm -hmm. Caucasian approach of like, <laughs> there's a problem here. Let's fix it. Whereas I think, um, I know from your experience, you say you're much more used to problems that can't be fixed. Yeah. That will continue to hurt you and people you care about and that there aren't solutions to. And I think I need to be patient with that. And I think that's what that nun was talking about too. Like sometimes it's not going to get fixed. And how do you sit with it all? Right. So help me out. How do you sit with it all? I know. I was going to say something funny, but I don't know if it will get edited. I can just let our Great Dane poop on their lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a healthy solution to it. <laughs> it would feel like some payback to you. <laughs> well, I forgot the poop bag again. <laughs> like, come on, Kazi. Let's go poop. <laughs> um, outside of that... <laughs> How else do you sit with these problems that can't be solved? Um, I think it's just, you know, we talked about before. Oh, I, well, let me back up and say, I, I think I would use my, just need to use my mindfulness practice um, when the varying emotions come up um, and just being able just to sit with, with whatever feelings are coming up, um, just talking about them with people that I know care about me, um, that I know will just listen. Without telling me like, oh, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about what I saw on Instagram today. <laughs> you know, just that will just allow me to to have that that moment. So, I'm expecting both of you to point out my thinking areas here. Isn't so much of this similar to when people experience grief in life and just the discomfort it creates in the people around them? So, as an example, let's say I were to lose a loved one, and then the people around me sometimes really struggle with that and they want me to feel better rather than give me space to really sit with my emotions. And Amin sees me in the grocery store and he darts down the other dial so he doesn't have to have an uncomfortable conversation <laughs> with me. And I think this toxic positivity comes in to play. Like we're always wanting everything to be good. We want everyone to be happy. We want everything to be well. And when things happen like this or when the process of death or illness happen in life, things aren't well. Yeah. And I think we really struggle to sit with each other when these things happen um, versus, hey, Jimmy, sir, I heard this happened in your community. Tell me about that mm -hmm. versus, well, look on the bright side, Jimmy, sir, at least this. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't worry, there's a plan for everything. 
You know, you won't ha- be given more than you can manage. And then you look back in history, you're like, people have been given more than mm-hmm. they can manage. Um, and so I, I think there's this space there, right, to allow people to just experience whatever they're experiencing without trying to make them feel better. And I think that's what I often need when I'm going through grief or when I'm going through problems or fears or hurt or whatever it is. Yeah. I do think it's a little different, though, than grief, because there's always a sense that, you know, even after we sit and and deal with our emotions, after dealing with a a threat or perceived threat, now it's like, okay, now what do we do to alleviate this threat? You know, because grief, eventually, you just have to come to uh, come to grips with reality, right? Like mm-hmm. that person's gone. It's very painful, but life's still going. But with a threat, it's like, all right, I'm sitting with my emotions. I understand them now, but still something has to be done. Mm-hmm. And until that thing yeah, is that done, uh, you know, I, I can't feel better yet, right? Mm-hmm. I can't just move on and see that flag every day for the rest of my life and not know why it's there, who that person is, why they're mm-hmm. flying it, what their intentions are, all these things. It's It's even like, if we stick with grief, there's a difference, I think, grieving a loved one who died of old age and a loved one who was killed by somebody else. You know, that's very different. There's this feeling of, okay, well, they were killed, and I need to figure out and get, find justice for them mm-hmm. uh, now that they're gone. And that's the next thing I'm working towards versus grief uh, of a loved one dying of old age. It's like, I'm very sad. They were everything to me. They were my support mm-hmm. system. But this is life. And so I, I don't know what I'm really trying to get at, but there there's kind of these differences. For you, it feels there's mm-hmm. a, a different shift, a different. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do moving forward? Once we feel safe, which I think I mean, he's doing um, this really impressive job of pointing out, we're not going to feel safe. <laughs> Sorry um, about that. <laughs> You know, you're not going to get that resolution. It's not like something happens and then it's over. It's still there. But let's say our emotions slow down a bit. We feel a bit safer. We feel connected to people we care about. And we feel like there's people looking out for us. What do we then do? I don't know. Like, do you have that conversation with the person? Um, I tried. They didn't seem very interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... I think it's maybe just making people around us more aware. Um, I would still try, like, hey, like, what's up with your flag in the neighborhood with little kids running around? I think one of the things I I like about this episode a lot is we're not coming up with answers. And it's creating a very realistic sense of what people experience when they go through this. Mm -hmm. Like... I remember watching, you know, civil rights movies or whatever, and it always ends really well. Like there's this injustice in town, and then people challenge it, and the whole town suddenly realizes, like, yeah, this is what's right, and we're going to turn these people into heroes. And in real life, like when we've challenged injustice, each of us in our own lives or in our own ways, we don't typically win. (laughs) We tend to come out on the worst end of it. We tend to come out feeling less safe. and so I think that's an important aspect of this, that if you have a need for the person who's suffering, for the person who's experienced part of this to get better, you're probably going to make the problem worse. I mean, you're nodding, nodding along. What do you think? I'm just thinking very hard, you know, about what you guys can do uh, and, and 
I don't know how to really word this without it sounding too toxically positive, but I think if you find all the like-minded individuals in the community uh, that, that you're in and just take whatever stand you need to take, either to increase security in the area, to get the flag removed, maybe both. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's possible, maybe not. That's why I was kind of thinking a lot before I spoke. <laughs> but I think we all have different responsibilities. I think we all have different paths that we're on. And I think the things that we're each trying to individually overcome may even be different. So like, as an example, I love to fix things. Mm -hmm. Maybe the best path for me right now is learning how to sit with uncertainty. Maybe working on solutions feeds this challenge of mine to always fix things. And then maybe for other people who are very good at sitting with things, for them it's to get up and to get moving and to work on problems. And so I think I'm probably very poorly introducing this idea that when these things happen, maybe we all have different paths. Um, maybe our, our next stage of growth is just very different depending on our kind of natural skill set or natural inclination. And I feel like um, what's coming to mind now is just educating. Like, you know, let's educate the people around us about it. Um, for those that are curious, even um, one of our kids is old enough to understand and, and very much aware of like the civil rights era and um, and actually interested in it. So I think this would be a good way to educate that, you know, our oldest on like, this is what all this means. So without getting too toxically positive, can you even reframe this as they were there anyway? <laughs> They were there before they put the flag up. They had these beliefs before Absolutely. they put the flag up. Now that the flag is up, can we get a sense of appreciation for, thank you. <laughs> thank you for letting thank me know. Thank you for know. letting me know who you are so I can avoid coming <laughs> over to your house. thank you for reminding us as a community that these things are not gone. Mm -hmm. That these things are very much alive and present. And I know that's it's probably very much a Ben approach, but I think that's... That's one of the other things I want to work on. Like one, sitting with there not being a solution. Two, being grateful for the reminder of the things that do need continued observance of and monitoring of and challenging. I mean, you look like you disagree strongly right now. <laughs> it's just tough whenever you put it into perspective, though. Uh, you're right. It would, if we're just taking all emotion out, this person probably felt whatever way he feels before and now you might know for certain or have this image of uh the kind of person he is now but still does that make it better it's like uh is not knowing there's a hungry lion around you mm -hmm. good or bad and and once you find out does that make you feel any better that there's a hungry lion just waiting to mm -hmm. eat yeah. something and so you're I, I don't know if that's my own need to try to find a solution here but I don't really have a good response. I don't know. But we don't deal well with people having different solutions and all of those solutions being okay either, right? Like, mm -hmm. as a community, we always like, there should be one solution to this problem. Mm -hmm. And what I like about this conversation with the both of you, or any conversation I have with the both of you, is this idea that we often ended up with three different solutions, all of which are good. Mm -hmm. And I guess as long as you're not ever in any situation invalidating the victims of that situation, then... There's, I think, some sort of progress to be made. 
Uh, so here, you know, if you guys do come up with some sort of idea of how to better this, and then somebody's like, eh, it's not that serious. Imagine <laughs> the pain and emotions you'll yeah. feel at that point yeah. versus them actually hearing you out and working towards something, even if it's a different solution. At least there's a conversation to be had. Yeah, I'm super curious, too, about running into people and then being like, y'all did a whole podcast episode on that? That's a lot. <laughs> um, but I'm also really interested, like, next week we're doing a podcast uh, with Joan from Safe Passage who's going to talk about harmful habits in responding to victims of violence. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be a lot of tie in there. I, I think this is kind of an interesting warm-up for the three of us to really talk about these issues. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning more from her work and her perspective and and all of her experience with these issues. Yep. Jamisa, any final thoughts for today? Or Nope, I'll just forget the poop bags when I'm walking down the street. <laughs> Still pretty and he's focused a, he's on the great He's a big day. boy. <laughs> he is a big boy. You're going to buy him some extra food today. Yes. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. More baked beans for the Great Dane yes. tonight. All right. On that note, uh, thank you for joining us. Please visit 3treecenterforchange.com so that you can connect with us on socials. As we said, next week we have uh, Joan from Safe Passage going to talk to us about harmful habits and working and talking to victims of violence. The week after that, we have Lester, um, who spent a long time in prison and is going to talk about harmful habits that lead to incarceration. And then the week after that, which I don't even know what week it is, maybe the second week in May or something, we're doing our first live session over at the Mercantile in Rock Hill. And uh, people are welcome to come join us, and I think there'll be an opportunity for some Q&A. And they can buy some of my caveman photos in person with signatures. <laughs> <laughs> can we please be done? <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks.